Welcome to the Public Sector Marketing Show, a podcast for government and public sector marketing professionals who want to level up their digital marketing and social media knowledge, skills, and strategic thinking. And now, welcome your host, Joanne Sweeney. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Public Sector Marketing Show. The new world of work is something that is dominating conversations on virtual meetings. But what are the opportunities for marketing and communications professionals in government and public sector? Need they be in the office full time? Can they go hybrid or can they work fully remote? Well, in a recent Gartner poll, 82% of company leaders said they plan to allow employees to work from home part of the time. Coming up in today's show, can comms and marketing pros go remote, go hybrid, or do they need to stay in the office? Types of hybrid working models that other companies are using. And I speak to Tracy Kyo, co-founder of Grow Remote and a remote working advocate. We discuss the remote working landscape in Ireland and international trends that we can learn from. In today's column, I'm asking the question, can communications and marketing pros in public sector work remote on a full-time basis? Well, let me tell you, I've been working remotely most of the last decade, and in fact, my colleagues are spread across the world, and we've had an excellent working relationship, and my intention for any new hires in the company is to allow them to work remotely on a full-time basis. You see, very much of the conversation around remote working focuses in on culture, privacy, security of data and information, and also output, and also a very important conversation around the mental health of our colleagues and our staff. But I'm going to focus in today on peers like me who are working in the field of marketing and communications. In the main, marketing and comms can happen in a complete digital world. Much of our work is writing, scanning, researching, preparing content, having meetings, conducting briefings, engaging with journalists and other communications professionals, and publishing content on digital platforms. Absolutely, if we're hosting in-person events or in-person press conferences, or media briefings, then you need to be there in person. But I would argue, by and large, the role of a marketing or comms professional within a government agency can be done in in its entirety in the online world. I've been speaking to comms and marketing pros over the last two years during the pandemic, and now as we emerge from it in Ireland, and there's very much an appetite for them to continue to work from home. Some of them are still at home full time and working remotely. Others are going into the office a number of times a week. And then there are others who are being offered this 50-50 model of part remote and part in the office. So I'd be curious to know what your organization is planning and indeed what you would favor. But if you ask me if a comms professional can work remotely and deliver outputs to the expectation and the need of the organization, then I would say you absolutely can. Level up your social media skills by taking our diploma in social media, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code SOCIALMEDIA20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. 
Remote work has been one of the top phrases in 2020 and 2021, but as we emerge into the new normal, what does the world of work look like for government and public sector professionals across the world? Well, I wanted to take a look at what other big companies are doing and the models that they are rolling out to their staff within individual countries and indeed across the world. So the likes of Spotify, Meta and Microsoft are offering combination working environments. And perhaps this is something that your employer might look at also, because it's becoming very clear that individual government agencies have particular needs. But I would argue that you have managed remote working over the past two years, and so there seems to be systems already in place. So here are five different types of remote slash hybrid models that I've seen companies promote among employees. So the first one is a 50-50 remote or hybrid option. So that offers employees the opportunity to combine working from home, but also coming into the office, not on the same days as their colleagues. So they might be in an office in the workplace, but again, reaching out to their colleagues or senior leadership who are then in the virtual world. A second model emerging, and this one is pretty popular, is the 50-50 remote office. So you spend half of your time working remotely, potentially from home, and then the other 50% of the time in the office. And again, some employees are getting flexibility as to which days that they choose. Thirdly, then, we have major organizations, and even indeed within government and public sector, leveraging office locations. So you might have a government agency that has an office in Dublin and maybe some satellite offices around the country. This enables employees to relocate. And certainly in an Irish context, we saw the, the mass movement of people and the relocation from the east of the country to the west of the country, uh, people searching for a better work-life balance. And so you have this location agnostic approach whereby you have the opportunity to work perhaps in a, a local hub or from a regional office connected with your employer. A fourth option is 40% hybrid, but offering better training and introducing new systems and processes of working. That's really important because if you're going to embark on a hybrid model of working on a long-term basis, then you need to introduce new ways of working and really manage the expectations of your team. And then finally, we have a customized approach. So depending on the team, depending on the organization, this is negotiated. But what I would say is that there's certainly room for creativity in defining what the new normal is when it comes to the world of work. And I wanna ask you a question. Are you still remote working? Are you working on a hybrid basis? Or are you operating from a connected hub somewhere around the country and a little distance away from the office? So I'd love to know what your current work setup is. Are you working from home? Is it hybrid? Or have you gone back to the office? Let me know, send me a tweet to at JS Tweets Digital. The use of social media has exploded over the past year and in fact has experienced a double digit growth. So 10% 
more social media use across the world. And if you are wanting to master social media and the new features on the five core social networks, then why not consider joining our bootcamp? It is now available on demand and we provide you with a mini social media plan for each social network that we cover. Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, and TikTok. The social media bootcamp is getting rave reviews. Uh, there's also discounts for multiple people attending from the same organization. So go ahead and check out our website, publicsectormarketingpros.com, or you can drop me an email to info at publicsectormarketingpros.com. A one-stop shop digital marketing and social media resource. Join our membership academy for 12 months. Access a library of how-to videos, template strategies, and organizational policies. Monthly live coaching. Attend webinars with subject matter experts. Meet and network with public sector pros from across the world. Use the code MEMBERSHIP20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. Our special guest on today's show is Tracy Kyo, who is the founder of Grow Remote. And over the past two years, she has been commanding and dominating this conversation from an Irish perspective. And I've been listening to her media interviews, reading her articles and following her tales on LinkedIn. So Tracy is a real advocate for remote working, but also building the capacity of organizations to offer it as a work-life balance solution to their employees. She works with very many companies across Ireland, and she also keeps a tracker of the organizations that are offering remote working. So in today's show, let's hear about remote working and some international trends. It's Tracy Coe. So I'm joined by Joanne Mangan, Employers Lead at Grow Remote. So I'd flagged in the intro to this interview that it was Tracy Kyo, but we don't have Tracy, but we have Joanne here. So she's gonna fill us in on what Grow Remote is, what your ethos is, and what you've been doing since 2018. So Joanne, first of all, what is Grow Remote for viewers and listeners who haven't come across your great work? Hi, Joanne, and thanks a million for having me on. So Grow Remote is a social enterprise. Uh, we were established in 2018 and we started life out as a WhatsApp group. Uh, this is before my time. So you mentioned Tracy there who wasn't able to join today. So she's one of our co-founders. And she got together with an, a group of people who were beginning to recognize the potential of remote work as a driver of equality in terms of um, bringing jobs to people who wouldn't have been able to access them and particularly people living in rural and regional locations. So the, the, the founding uh, basis of Grow Remote is remote work can drive rural regeneration. It can lead to thriving towns and villages all across Ireland, because if you can work anywhere, then you can live where you choose. And if you can live where you choose, then you're, you might be as likely to establish yourself in down in Dingle, down by the sea, or up in Donegal, as you are to move into Dublin and have an hour and a half commute. So that's where Grow Remote started as a, a small group of people who were really passionate about the potential of remote work uh, as, in terms of the, the drive, the, the social benefits um, it could bring. And that, that group of people were banging this drum for quite some time. Tracy talks a lot about how people thought that she was selling some kind of uh, scam or some kind of pyramid scheme when she was talking about remote work, because even though remote work was here and there was remote work in Ireland, it was quite hidden. It was quite kind of a secret. You might get a deal with your boss 
if you had some reason that you needed to work from home, you weren't allowed to tell anyone else about it, for example. So, um, and in the tech sector, it was it was quite common to work from home, but again, it wasn't policy. Uh, it wasn't embedded or, or systemic. Uh, so at the time, people were looking at, listening to the Grow Remote um, founders thinking, yeah, no, I, I, we don't need to work remotely. Why would we do that? We have lovely offices and, and everyone is happy there. Um, and, and that's where we were until uh, the unforeseen, uh, unimaginable happened and the pandemic hit uh, two years ago now. And that's where the story really started to take off for Grow Remote. Yeah, what a series of remarkable events that made Tracy's bud of an idea and that WhatsApp group into something that's one of the most talked about conversations in the world of work and life right now. But what is the current legislation as regards remote working in Ireland? What can employees negotiate? Because we've we've had kind of soundings and mutterings from our government but what's the current state of play the government uh i have to say in ireland have been quite progressive in terms of putting the putting in place the foundations for some legislation that hopefully will make remote work more accessible and, and give give employees more rights when it comes to remote working um so they they launched their national remote working policy I, again i think it's nearly two years ago they were quite quick out of the gate with this and um, within that policy was a promise to put some legislation in place. So the first was the right to disconnect, uh, which came in, it's a code of practice on the right to disconnect that came in last year, um, which made it, uh, made it a, a right of employees to be able to not work um, to, outside of hours, which is one of the challenges of remote working, that kind of blurring of home and work life. Uh, at the moment, there is a right to request remote work legislation that is proposed and it is uh, in front of the Oireachtas Joint Committee at the moment. They're hearing some submissions on that. And the plan is to put that in place, I think, around May. That seems to be the time that they are expecting. There may be some changes to that. Um, there's a little bit of controversy about the remote working legislation, particularly from the employee's perspective. So when, let's say today, right now, before this legislation is passed, an employee doesn't really have a right to remote working. You can't insist on remote working. There are some rights you have around uh, health and safety, for example, um, and and we would hope that employers would be understanding in the current climate of an employee who says, "Look, I'm worried about my health. I'm worried about COVID. I'm not comfortable to come back." But right now, there is no right to to remote working. And when the legislation is passed, there still won't be a right to remote working. There'll be a right to request remote working. So that means every employee has the right to ask. But it doesn't mean they're guaranteed that they're going to get the answer that they want. Um, the legislation as it stands today, as it's proposed, gives 13 reasons that an employer can reject a request. And some of those make a lot of sense. For example, if the employee doesn't have internet. Okay, so that's a fair, a good reason why an employer or if the job doesn't suit remote working, there are certain jobs that don't, you can't work remotely. And then some of them are a little bit more uh, broad, I guess you could say things like if the, the quality of the work is impacted or if the employee's location is too far away from the office. So these are things, you know, they're a little bit of a gray area. It does seem to give quite broad scope to the employer to be able to reject um, claims. But so, yeah, once that legislation comes into place, then the employee will have a right to ask. Um, but there is no legal right uh, today or in the near future. Uh, for an employee to be able to have the right to work remotely. It will be just the right to request. And that's great clarity. And apart from the legislative footing 
that maybe opens up remote working or the possibility of it to employees. I think there's a whole cultural shift also. I mean, we're currently going through the great resignation and, you know, that work-life balance that we all perhaps benefited from during the lockdowns and COVID give us time to reflect and give us some perspective on how much time we were spending in our lives traveling, essentially downtime away from the desk and also away from family and potentially, you know, getting your morning exercise in. But you're working with private sector companies on a daily basis. I know this is the public sector marketing show, but they're also intently listening and um, really want to engage in more remote working. But to what extent is remote working now a benefit that companies are offering in order to attract talent? There is across a wide range of sectors, remote work is becoming a long term practice and companies are putting in place their policies, remote working policies or hybrid. I think within um, the multinational sector, it's becoming quite a common benefit or, or way of working that is offered to employees uh, within the tech sector. It's very common. As I said, the groundwork was there before the pandemic. So for organizations where they may have had the infrastructure and the culture there already um, in terms of maybe working in distributed teams, not necessarily without offices or, or fully remote, but where they'd be used to working maybe with uh, teams in other countries. Those types of sectors are making remote work a more long-term permanent. But actually, there's quite a few companies that we work with that would surprise you that you might not necessarily think of when you think of remote working. So I can give you the example of the ESB. So the ESB are uh, actually a partner. They're a, a member of Grow Remote's Remote Alliance. This is a, an initiative we launched back in September, uh, which was to bring together some of Ireland's largest employers into, we call it a sandbox. It's kind of a forum where they can learn from each other and they can share publicly what they're what they're doing to help others on the journey. And ESB are one of the members of that alliance. They wouldn't necessarily be the kind of company you would think of for remote working, uh, particularly because they have people who have to work on site. They have to work at power stations and in the offices, but they've really embraced the idea of flexible working. Um, they aren't necessarily fully remote roles, but you know people do have to go into the office, but it is quite flexible. So you do have a lot of choice in when you go in and when you come home, you need to just have an agreement within your team. So they're a really good example of maybe you're non, the, the kind of company you wouldn't think of. You think remote work, you think tech, you know, you think maybe multinational, but you wouldn't necessarily think of a semi-state like the ESB. Vodafone are another example, they're in our alliance as well. At Liberty Insurance went fully remote. They're a member of our alliance too. And they went from in office to completely remote and they don't plan to go back after the pandemic. This is their long-term strategy and most of their employees work from home. They have offices, but they are encouraged almost not to go into them unless it's for collaboration or an event or something that really needs that face-to-face. -face. So you're right about the culture and the culture, it's been driven by employees. We're in an employee's market right now. Um, there is a, a, a shortage of talent there's a shortage of staff in quite a wide range of, of sectors and industries. And people want to work remotely. There's been so much, uh, so many studies on this. Um, the CSO recently released some statistics. Before that, NUIG and the Western Development Commission had done a study. And the, the, the numbers show employees want remote working. They don't necessarily want to be fully remote, although quite a, a good section of employees do. You're talking about 20, 25%. Uh, but the majority want some form of hybrid working. So they want maybe a couple of days in the office, 
a couple of days at home. But within that group, they also want flexibility. So they don't necessarily want to be mandated. You have to be in the office three days a week. And that is the, the, the fundamental ethos of remote working is that flexibility. And for Grow Remote, we really believe in the potential of being able to live where you choose and, and the impact that can have. So you can't live where you choose if you have to be in Dublin one, you know, two days a week. Uh, so companies need to think about how, uh, what models they're implementing. But really, the first thing is to listen to the employees, listen to what people want. If you want to hire people, we're in the middle of the great resignation, as you said. Um, people are reevaluating their priorities. Everybody is. And that's because of COVID. You know, we've all realized there's more to life than what you're doing from a, an employment point of view. There is uh, family, there's friends. These things are important and we've all learned to value them uh, over the last two years. So um, people want to continue with that flexibility. And I think as the offices are opening up now, a lot of people are who are being told to go back to the office are getting in their cars and driving for an hour, an hour and a half and thinking, what the hell am I doing this for? Why would I drive an hour and a half to sit at a desk and do something I can do just as easily from, and have been doing just as well from the comfort of my own home? And you know what? I was in Dublin yesterday and it was my first time on the train from Galway to Dublin in, in two years exactly. And I watched all of the people around me and the hustle and bustle and running to the platform, running off the train, you know, hustling for a seat. And I says, gosh, you know, that was the norm. It's not anymore. And it really struck me that, you know, I'm in a bedroom converted into an office. And like that, you know, my creativity has improved. My work-life balance has improved. I think the service I deliver to my clients is now improved because I'm in a, in a better way. But on the alliance, and you mentioned the semi-state, can public sector organisations join your alliance? Is it open to, to them also? It is. It's open to anyone who is employing in Ireland and who's willing to publicly commit to remote working. And yes, we would love some public sector membership within the alliance. And actually, as I said at the beginning, Joanne, that the government has been quite progressive and they have and they, they've within the remote working plan there is a commitment to making 20 percent of public sector jobs remote so we'd love to see uh, departments acting and coming to us and it's really important to say within the alliance one of the key things we look for is not just the commitment to remote work but that that leaders are acknowledging they don't have all the answers and that's where we are we need to meet companies where they are and a lot of public sector organizations i think are still trying to figure that out and have been spending the last few years trying to survive and just trying to keep things running. So I, I would encourage any company who's interested in learning more, who wants any public sector organization who's interested in learning more to reach out to us and we would be happy to speak to them because I think we have, we have a lot of insight that we have learned from companies who are making this transition. And the key thing we've learned is this year coming, the rest of this year and into next year, it's all about experimentation. It's all about trying things not necessarily having your perfect plan in place because it's really hard to say how things are going to evolve. We only just recently opened the offices. So a lot of companies are putting their hypothetical plans that they've you know poured over for the last year, two years. They're really not putting them into practice. And the ones that are open to listening to employees and thinking, okay, that isn't really working or, oh, we didn't think of that when we put this plan in place. This is a little bit of a complexity we hadn't thought about. Those are the organizations that we want to hear from because the more we can get that out there in the public, the more others can say, oh, okay, it's not just me that's finding this a little bit tricky because it, it is hard, right? We're talking about, we used to work in the office for what, like a hundred years? 
And we still didn't get that right. You know, it still wasn't working perfectly. There was a lot of challenges. So we we have to show a vulnerability, I think, and companies and leaders and organizations have to just kind of say, look, this is tough, but let's figure it out together. And the more people are publicly talking about it and sharing, and that's what we're all about at Grow Remote. We want to get the word out uh, to everybody what companies are doing and they can learn from each other. And that's really how we can make it a very uh, sustainable transition and make it work for companies and make it work for their employees because it has to work for both, right? It can't just it, it can't just be employees want this, so we have to do it. I think it, it, that attitude is only going to get so far. Companies and organizations also have to see the value and they have to be brought along the journey. And, you know, we're at, people are at different stages on that journey. Not everyone is convinced about remote working. So that's what the Alliance is about. It's about bringing everybody together to just, and we have the four companies within the Alliance right now are all at different stages and they all have quite different models as well from fully remote to hybrid to a hybrid where with Vodafone, it's a certain percentage of time has to be in the office. So we want to hear from all those voices and, and that way companies and organizations can say, okay, that fits better with me because that's quite similar to how my organization runs. So there's over 500 government and public sector agencies uh, in Ireland. And so you've got to line into them. And I think what we might do is we might follow up and maybe organize a dedicated webinar to invite um, that audience in. So I'll speak to you about that. We also have international listeners. So if you're if you're listening and watching, because um, I see the metrics on this podcast from the UK, from Australia, New Zealand, from Canada, the US, would you let me know and let us know what the experience is happening internationally? Because we love to share it, especially from a, a government and public sector. They they like to model what is happening in other jurisdictions. Um, what are the, the current fears? You spoke about vulnerabilities, and I love that leaders leading by saying, I don't have the answers, but I'm willing to listen. What are the big fears that you're coming across that is driving the reluctance and the unwillingness to even open a conversation from an employer's perspective? I think the perspective an organization can have can really depend on the experience they've had in the last two years, right? So uh, if you were well set up to move remotely uh, of the day that the government announced everybody had to go home, then you probably had a fairly okay experience of working remotely. You probably were able to recognize fairly quickly, okay, this is working well. But if you were an organization that might have been say not so far along on your digital transformation, for example. So quite paper-based organizations. You know, I've heard from companies um, where the staff still had to go into the office to photocopy documents, for example, because they had to have paper documents. And we see this is quite common in the public sector sometimes where that's the case. So depending on your organization's experience, it can color where you are right now in your, your opinion on remote work. So I think that's really important to recognize as well. Um, but I always stress, the last two years is not remote working. It was remote working in an emergency, which is a different thing. If you have the time and the space to plan it properly, then you can really make it happen. And I think that's where we are right now. And it's a great opportunity as offices are opening up, a little bit of the pressure is taken off. You can bring people back, but you can bring them back with a view to let's come back and talk about this. Now that we're face to face, we weren't so set up to do this remotely, but now we're back, we can talk about this. And I think in the public sector, we'll see more of that, um, bringing people back, but hopefully taking that opportunity to plan the next stage of how remote working is going to evolve. Um, the challenge is then back to your original question. I think a lot of organizations worry about collaboration. They worry about communication and they worry about engagement. So pre-pandemic, probably the top 
challenge a company or an organization would say when it comes to remote working is productivity. And it's really interesting how that's evolved now because when we actually put it to the test, productivity, it turned out it was not an issue at all. In fact, organizations were more productive and that's what's coming through now from some of the research. So now it's moved into the other, th the other really important key things, right? So it's not about what we're producing, but it's about how we're working and how we're engaging with each other. And that's where a lot of leaders worry. They think, well, how can my team really effectively collaborate and be innovative if we're all dispersed in our in our home offices and not getting together all the time? You know, this idea of the whiteboard, you know, you need the guys around the whiteboards or the, the, the people around the whiteboard to be able to figure out and um, brainstorm and come up with new ideas. Uh, communication as well. So again, it depends on your experience. So if you weren't well set up to communicate, a lot of organizations had never used Zoom for work, right? Had never had that experience. So suddenly you're trying to figure out even how to do that properly, how to set it up and how to, how to engage with each other. Uh, some companies went down the road of over communicating too many Zoom meetings, back-to-back -back Zoom meetings, and then everybody had Zoom fatigue and, and that was quite a negative experience. So um, that, that depending on your point of view, uh, how it's been for you in terms of how your organization has been communicating, that, that is definitely a concern. Now, with all of these things, I have to add, in our experience at Grow Remote, there are ways to overcome all of these challenges. Grow Remote are a, a fully remote company. We don't have an office. Now we're quite small, right? So we're a small team, 10 people. And we do see those, some of those challenges ourselves. We have experienced them. But there are methods and policies and processes and techniques that you can put in place to overcome them. You have to be very intentional about it, though, because I think the mistake a lot of organizations made was thinking they could just uproot the office and transfer it to the home. And then let's just keep working as we, as we did. But you can't do that. You have to really change your internal processes, internal policies, your culture, all of this has to change because it's not the same as working in an office. It's, you can't just, I can't just get up from my desk and pop over to my colleague and ask a question. My colleagues are all over Ireland, you know? So the more intentional an organization is about it, the more deliberate they are, the less they leave the chance, the less they assume, oh, it'll just happen organically. You know, people will just kind of connect with each other anyway, because people are people. No, that's not the case because we don't, it's not the same when you're working virtually. So be intentional, look at your communication, plan uh, specific ways to keep your teams engaged. But remember that you can. We work with companies all the time who are fully remote and they're so innovative. You know, we've, some of our um, employer partners, we work with a lot of fully remote companies like uh, Flipdish. They're Ireland's, one of Ireland's most recent unicorns. Uh, they are 100% remote. They don't, uh, I think they have an office, but they rarely use it. And, you know, they've been hugely successful. Uh, we also work with, with Shopify. I mean, Shopify is a big employer in Ireland. They were remote before the pandemic. Very innovative company, have no problem with communication. Everybody's able to collaborate. So there are ways to do it. It can be done. It just requires a lot of thinking, a lot of um, consultation, and a lot of intentional, deliberate planning. And isn't it interesting that the research is shown because we've had two years to gather this data. It's been a long pilot, if you like, that productivity and getting work done is not the problem. Whereas that's where I would have thought the angst would have come from the employer's point of view. So what are the first steps to, to reorientating, you know, your organization for remote or hybrid working? What, what's the first thing that organizations need to do? The, a lot of the organizations that we work with that were remote, the first step they have taken is to talk to their employees. So 
either through a doing a survey, depending on the size of the organization, some have done surveys, some have done focus groups. If you're smaller, just bring everyone in together and, and ask how, what do they want? So gathering feedback from employees is, has been, I think probably one of the first steps that any of the organizations we talk to have done. And they take that into account then when they build their, their because the more you can bring the employees with you, the more effective your policy is going to be. So that's, I think, a first step. I think I would encourage any organization who's thinking about it to do a sort of an audit, an internal audit. Um, look at your look at your remote readiness. So there are things like um, infrastructure, you know, technology. You can look at your people. You can look at your policies. You can look at your communications. All those pillars of uh, an organization, and try and figure out how remote ready you are and what what are the blockers. Um, obviously, look at the roles. So there are some roles that can't be done remotely. I would say there are a lot of roles that people think can't be done remotely, but actually they could be done or partially done remotely. So if there's back office staff, administrative staff, customer service, it's not just tech. And I say this all the time. It's not just software developers that can work remotely. Really any job that doesn't require you to be physically near a, an asset or, or a, you know, a machine or physically beside a customer can be done remotely. So be open-minded about the types of jobs that can be done. Don't assume, okay, there's a talent shortage in tech, so I'm going to let my tech people work remotely, but I'm going to bring all my admin staff in to work in the office. For example, they, why, why would they have to do that? So um, do, a, do that audit, review the roles, and then figure out what model works best. So, you know, going fully remote is a big deal. It's, it's quite a big step, um, especially for public sector organizations that wouldn't have worked remotely in the past. So that's quite a big leap, right? So maybe look at hybrid. Um, I always say this to companies I talk to though, if you are looking at a hybrid model, which means you're bringing, people may come in sometimes and work from home sometimes, you have to try and keep it flexible. So, you know, I would really discourage a mandate on a certain number of days a week. Now, I don't know what the plan is with the public sector, whether this is something that they will do in the future, but I would really discourage it because uh, for the reasons I mentioned earlier, you can't live where you like if you have to go into to Dublin. You can't organize. It's very difficult to organize childcare if you have to go to the office two days a week. It's harder to find childcare two days a week almost, I think, than it is a five day week. Uh, so there's a lot of things there. People don't really. Want, there's even an environmental aspect to that um, in terms of if you have a long commute two days a week versus a short commute five days a week, it's actually worse in terms of emissions. Um, so a lot of people have relocated and they think, well, it's OK. I live in the Midlands now. I can drive to Dublin two days a week. But you're actually using more and um, you're actually releasing more emissions through that than you would be if you'd stayed in Dublin and just went to the office. So there's a lot around the flexibility. And uh, our organizations, I think, are a bit scared of this idea of because they think, oh, it's it's a free for all. How will I know when people are in the office? How am I going to manage this? How do I know when I need desk space and when I don't? But there again, there's, there's processes that you could put in place if you're deliberate about your planning. I'll use the example of HubSpot. They're a company that we work with. They have a hybrid model and it's flexible, but it's also structured. It, it, it's kind of a bit, a bit of both. So you decide, I would decide as an employee, what kind of role I have. Am I in office fully? Am I hybrid or am I work from home? And then depending on which role I pick, I get certain things. So for example, if I'm in office, I get a, a desk that's permanent. It's my desk. I can put my picture on it and I can you know, put my stuff there. Nobody's allowed to touch it. If I'm hybrid, I get a work from home setup, but I have to have a hot desk in, in the office. And then if I work from home, I get a full work from home, but no desk. So there's, there is structure that can be put around hybrid without having to uh, bring everyone into the office. Also, if you bring everyone into the office, say every Monday, every Friday, 
then you've no opportunity to reduce your um, your real estate, your office space, because you will have full office. And that will keep your, your the chat. One of the good benefits for companies with remote working is it can help you reduce your office space. And that's that's a great cost saving. But if you have a full complement, all the team are in there one, two days a week, then you're, you're going to have the same challenge of trying to find space as you grow. So yes, I would definitely look at the model, but try and think about making it as flexible as possible. And I love that when we started this conversation, you know, the, the whole ethos of Grow Remote is equality. And I love that. I'm from rural Donegal, um, living by the sea in Galway here. And those things are important to me, living by the sea and being in a place where I'm happy to be, but I can work all over the country and now all over the world. But final question, do you think remote working has overtaken the four-day week conversation? I think, yes, I think so. I think the four-day week conversation and remote working are cousins of each other. There's there's a relationship there because remote working um, and flexible working is based on some fundamentals. So, for example, trust is one of the fundamental aspects of remote working. You have to be able to trust your employees because you're not going to see them every day. Um I think a four-day week is, is based on a similar ethos of trust, as in you, you have to trust that people can get their work done without you, know, without you enforcing a five-day week on them. It's really about not measuring productivity. It's not about measuring their productivity, their hours spent, but it's about their output. So there's a lot of relations there between the four-day week, the whole idea of work-life balance and how important it is. It's not just paying lip service. Uh, remote working is giving people a better work-life balance and the whole ethos of the four-day week is the same. I think that for employers and organizations, remote work is has become more socialized, obviously, because it's it's been around now for the last two years. People are a bit more used to it, probably a little bit less scary <laughs> as an idea than the four-day week might be. Um, but I, I do see the movement, the future of work is flexible. The future of work is flexible in terms of location, but it's also flexible in terms of hours. Um, and a grow, for example, grow remote, we're a fully remote company. We also have flexible start and finish times. People aren't, you know, nobody checks if I'm at my desk at nine o'clock in the morning. Nobody checks what time I finish. If I have a, have to do something on for a half a day, I don't really have to check in. I might send an email to say, look, guys, I'm offline for half day. You know, we have unlimited paid time off. So all that, they, they, those things go hand in hand with remote working, the flexibility, the trust of your employees, the, the, the less, no, not so much micromanaging and counting hours, but looking at, are these people achieving their, uh, their goals? Are they getting done what they need to get done for my organization to meet its goals and for us to be successful? And after that, then, I mean, what difference does it make if they work four days a week or five days a week, or if they start at nine, or if they start at six in the morning and stop at 12 to go for, you know, go for a swim in the sea for a couple of hours and come back online for an hour in the evening. So it is that there is a lot of flexibility within both of those, but I, I think we're further along in the remote working conversation, purely by virtue of what's happened in the last two years. It really has, you know, made things explode in the remote working world. Um, so it's become mainstream, in, in such a, a fast way. And I think the genie is out of the bottle there. I don't think we're going to see things going back to the way they were. I 100% agree. This has been a most wonderful conversation. I've really enjoyed it. Um, I wanna congratulate Tracy and you and the entire Grow Remote team 
on leading this conversation. I think you guys have been very authoritative. I said it to you before we started our interview proper that I've been watching this very closely and I've been really inspired and I've been really championing from the social media sidelines because, you know, sometimes it's difficult for governments and, you know, to change legislation, but you've been, um, I think you guys have done a great job. You're a great case study in itself as a social enterprise. And I know you've got loads of accolades, but I want public sector organizations to pick up the phone uh, or to, to DM Grow Remote Motor to get in touch. Can they contact you, Joanne? Like, are you open for conversation from the public sector? Yeah, 100%. Anyone who wants to contact us, they can go onto our website. It's growremote.ie. We are we offer fully funded training programs. Um, actually, we've had a few public sector uh, individuals from public sector organizations go through our training, particularly uh, our training for managers, which is called Leading Remote Teams. We have a training for employees called um, Thriving Remotely. Both of these are fully funded, so no cost apart from the time. Um, anyone who's interested in speaking to me personally, I'm always keen to connect with organizations at any level, in any sector, any industry across the board who is interested in remote working. So anyone who wants to contact can reach out to me directly. It's joanne at growremote.ie. We also have a lot of resources on our website for our employers. Uh, if they go into the employers page there, we have a playbook, which we just recently launched on remote working. I think it would be very interesting for your audience as well. But please do reach out. I think we can safely say remote work is here to stay. I think when it comes to public sector, there are some challenges that maybe private sector don't have. But I think you can make remote work work for any organization. And, you know, I'm going to repeat what I said already. You don't have to be tech company. You can be any kind of organization to offer this. It's really all about how much you want to invest in your employees and how much you want to make that experience positive one for them and how much you want to benefit society in Ireland. We're talking about making jobs available to anyone wherever they live. And, and the impact of that locally is going to be absolutely phenomenal if we can embrace it and keep an open mind and just put the work in to make it happen. Amazing. Well, I am hoping that your inbox is pinging after this interview and um, I think we'll do something separate so I'll be in touch. But for now, Joanne Mangan, Employers Lead at Grow Remote. Thank you so much for your time and your insights. Thank you, Joanne. Level up your digital skills by taking our diploma in digital marketing, plus gain an industry qualification. Use the code DIGITALMARKETING20 for a 20% discount. Visit publicsectormarketingpros.com. Before we launch our new series of free webinars, I wanted to let you know about our content marketing planning webinar that is now available, go ahead and jump over to publicsectormarketingpros.com forward slash webinars. And if you have an idea for a free webinar that you'd like me to create, let me know and I will do just that. As always, thank you so much for tuning in. And if you could share this episode with one public sector pro that you know, it'll make all the difference to our reach and engagement. And if you haven't already, make sure that you subscribe on the podcast platforms so you get a notification when each and every episode is released. You can also subscribe on YouTube. Thank you for listening and I will see you on the next episode. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Public Sector Marketing Show. This episode has ended, but your digital journey can continue. Head over to publicsectormarketingpros.com to access resources and links mentioned in today's show and to connect with Joanne and her team. Until the next time, be sure to subscribe, rate and review on your favorite podcast platform.